All right, here we go. This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, you give us that intro lick. sound like i was like not being appreciative yeah thanks john we're appreciative thanks john we're appreciative <laughs> hey there welcome to Dexplanations. i'm dexter Sorensen. i look some stuff up on wikipedia watch some youtube about it and i'm gonna explain it to my friend david drondale david what is up hey dex not too much how's it going me too good yeah mm-hmm. all right what are we gonna learn about today <laughs> we're gonna talk about the nash equilibrium never even heard of it i'm excited yeah it's a it's basically a direct sequel to the episode we did last week prisoner's dilemma okay um but or you could think of the prisoner's dilemma as a intro to the nash equilibrium gotcha okay so we're doing some more game theory yeah more game theory all right so yeah like last week we talked about how the prisoner's dilemma is a great introduction of game theory it's actually probably the most well-known thing. In yeah, game I think so. <clears throat> um, but we didn't talk much about game theory itself. True. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about game theory. Okay. Um, there's a great SciShow video that was like super helpful in researching this episode. I most likely have seen it, but I'm not sure. Did it talk about the beach? No. The beach. Okay. Never mind. No. Um. But yeah, game theory is basically the math of social interactions. Yep. Yep. And it's super important to psychologists, economists. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, it's kind of what makes economists like psychologists, but on a mass scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, Political scientists, advertisers, biologists. Right, all basically psychologists in some way, shape, or form, but on a large scale. Yeah, like in it. Which is where psychology game theory shines. applies to many, 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 many more fields. Yeah. Um, Almost all of them, if you were able to find the right... If it pretty involves, much anything you do. Yeah, if it involves humans and decision-making, game theory is there. Yep. So, yeah, um, practically everything we do involves game theory. Yep. Um, it was developed by mathematician John Nash. Oh, okay. He's the guy A Beautiful Mind was based on. Gotcha, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's ringing um, the bells now. Yeah. I mean, they were there were previous there were previous accounts of game theory, but they were all zero sum games. Okay. Um so John Nash extrapolated and showed how Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get we'll get into it. So, first let's talk about a game in game theory. Okay. Um, in game theory, a game is any inter- interaction with multiple people where each person's final outcome is de- determined in part by the decision other people make. Right. It's basically reducing all social interaction to games. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is the way most high level or like really high functioning socialites view it. Like yeah. politicians, you mentioned that with political science, like a lot of politicians view the world through a game theory lens. Yeah. Um, what decision should I make 
regardless of what my opponents will do. Yes. Um, and how to outwit your opponents, mm-hmm. how to preempt their own decisions and whatnot. So, yeah, whether we're playing an actual board game, talking to our mom, deciding what to do after we commit crimes together, getting work done at work, or considering starting a nuclear war, there is always something to be analyzed by game theory. And there are two main branches of game theory. There is competitive games and cooperative games. Okay, makes sense, yeah. Yeah, but today we're going to focus on competitive games. Okay, that's mostly what I've... Yeah, I mean, learned about in terms of game theory. I had a, I had a little bit about cooperative games, but I just didn't even want to talk about it because um, the Nash Equilibrium is more fun. Okay. Um, so competitive games cover situations where there will be some winners and some losers. And the Makes pr- sense. Yeah, the prisoner's dilemma, where we both committed the two crimes, is better in our both interest to not cooperate with each other. That's like the most widely known competitive competitive game. game. Okay. Um, and the concept of the Nash equilibrium is the solution to a competitive game in game theory. And players, they've reached the Nash equilibrium when the choices they make lead to a better outcome for themselves, no matter what the other players do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so like in the prisoner's dilemma, the only option that has reached Nash equilibrium is when both players sell each other out. That makes sense. Because no matter what the other person does, mm-hmm. your fate is decided. Yeah, both players have decided that no matter what the other player does, <laughs> does, it's in their best interest to sell the other player out. Right, so I guess I misphrased that. Your fate isn't decided, but... <clears throat> it's basically... Uh, regardless of your actions at this point... Yeah, um, to keep your strategy... Right. It's it's I guess what I was trying to get at is at this point it's only based on your decision. What mm-hmm. your fate is is only based on your decision. Whether yep. you get 10 years or 6 years is based on what you decide. Yeah. And yeah, like like we said this is a sequel to Prisoner's Dilemma if you're getting confused. Listen to that one. Listen to that one. So like if we want to think of the Nash equilibrium in a separate way, I think the four-way stop is a good example. So, like, if we both go at the same time at a four-way stop, we'll crash into each other, and that will ruin our day. Yeah. So, we'll, yeah, we'll, like, value that as negative seven. Okay. Just, like, randomly. Not random, but... Arbitrarily. Arbitrarily, thank you. And if we both act like regular Eugenians and, like, stop and try to insistently wave the other on, (laughs) then we'll both lose time at the intersection. Okay. We'll say that has a value of negative two. We gotcha. both have Makes somewhere sense. we want to be going. Right. If, however, we both follow the rules of the right of way, and if you show up first, you go first. If I show up first, I go first, whichever may be the case. Then one will have a plus five, and the other will have a like a zero. Okay. Because that's just how it goes. Let's just abide by the rules. Um, it's better for everyone to just abide by the rules. And not try to fuck it up either in the self righteous way 
Eugenian way. Yep. And on a personal the, level, I, I have to totally agree with that. If you just follow the fucking rules, instead of insisting that I go when you have the right of way, everyone will get to their destination in a more orderly fashion. Yeah, it's fucking Please Matt. just obey the fucking <laughs> rules of the road. People thought about them. It's fucking math, too. It's math. <laughs> it's People math. thought hard about the rules of the road. If you just so, yeah, follow them, just trust fo- that it's going to be the best for everyone. And, yeah. It's like literally a four way stop is in the Nash equilibrium because even if that is, isn't enforced, it is in everyone's interest to continue to do it. Yes. Yep. That's <clears throat> another metric for describing the Nash equilibrium where even if it wasn't enforced, it's in everyone's interest to do that. So basically, the individual interest is more or less aligned with the community interest. Yeah. Um, kind of. More no. or less. Yeah. Some people said it like that, but I actually like to think of it as it is in your interest to make this decision regardless of what other actors do. Okay. Yeah. That's a more, dis- that's, that's a more accurate description. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit about the prisoner's dilemma again. Then we talked about the four way stop. Um, let's talk about some other games in game theory. Yeah. And we'll start with the centipede game. Centipede? Like the arcade game? Mm, yeah, kind of. Yeah, just or like regular centipede. Um, so in the centipede game, there are two players and two piles of money with a limited number of rounds. Okay. Um, in the first pile, there are four coins. And in the second pile, there's one coin. Okay. And at any time, the player has the choice to either take the big pile or push both piles to the other player wait so at any time like they're acting consecutively yeah Yeah, they're acting consecutively one player is the first player one player is the second player okay the first player decides to push both piles of coins over to the second player they both double in size Okay. So the four becomes... And the second player doesn't know what the first player decided to do before they take their action. No, they both know the rules and they see it happen um but do their so do their turns take place at the same time? No, no, no. Oh, it's one after the tur- other. It's turn by turn. Okay. So the first player decides to push, we'll say. Okay. They push both coins over. At that point, both piles double in size. Okay. So the first pile becomes eight coins and the second pile becomes two coins. Okay. So it's actually set up that if you pass and your opponent takes the next turn, you will get less than if you took the previous turn. Because on the first round, you could have got four coins. But if your opponent takes their eight coins, you only get two. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you use backwards induction, the Nash equilibrium is for the first player to take the larger pile on their first turn. So, yeah, like, let's say, let's just, like, focus on the backwards induction. Okay. Um, the game, let's say the game reaches the last round. The second player will get the most m- money possible from the game by defecting on the last round and taking a larger share of the pot. Well, but then it's in the first player's interest to take the larger share of the pot on the second to last round. Right. But the second player realizes that... And they'll likely defect on the third to last round to get more money than their opponent. 
Right. Yeah. And then you can just follow that to the first backwards to the first backwards round. to the first round. And so it's always the Nash equilibrium to take the money on okay. the first time. You um, can't ever trust just the using backwards induction yeah. and pure rationalization. Yep. Um, yeah, like you assuming just, people will operate in their own selfish best interest. Yeah. Um, but Wikipedia says that several studies have demonstrated that the Nash equilibrium play is rarely observed. Instead, subjects regularly show partial cooperation, playing push for several rounds before eventually choosing the take. Yeah, that's because people don't always actually operate in their own selfish best interest because they don't always know what it is. And they don't assume that other people will always operate in their own selfish best interest because they don't know what it is. Yeah, there, and so there there's, there's uncertainty. Why, yeah, but it all boils down to uncertainty. Yeah. Um, it's also really rare for players to cooperate throughout the, throughout the game. Right, of course. At some mm. point, you have to stop. Yeah. If you want to win, <laughs> yeah, you want to get some money. You yeah, wanna get, and you, you want to get, get the most amount of you money. You want to get the most amount of money than you could. If you don't take it this round, and your opponent takes it next round, you will get less money than you would have got. Okay, that's true throughout the game. Okay, wait. So we, you've explained this game a little bit. What does it have to do with centipedes? Oh well, initially, it was limited to a hundred rounds. Oh, okay, okay. And so, Centipede. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a stretch, but okay. It's kind of a stretch, but I mean, anyway, yeah, that's why it's called the Centipede game. Gotcha. Um, also, it just kind of crawls around back to the back, like through backwards induction. Like this, it starts oh, at the head and everything lifts up and I goes back towards the butt. I see what you're saying because it's, I get it. it now that makes more sense. It's like a, it's a, it's a backward wave of logic traveling from, from 100 down to zero or down yeah. to one yep yeah i get it it is like a centipede then because yeah. it's a wave of induction yep um so yeah but that's not what really happens not everybody plays on the first round and usually they don't anyway but they also don't play through the game and there are like many reasons for it. Um, R.W. Rosenthal in 81 suggested that if one has reason to believe that his opponent will deviate from the Nash behavior, then it's advantageous to not defect on the first round. So if you think uh, that, like, yeah, 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 if you just think that you can get them to go one play further, then you can make more money by going a play further than that. Exactly. And so, yeah, interesting. That's interesting logic. Like, basically, if you think that the other person won't operate completely rationally, mm -hmm. then it's in your rational best interest. If you believe to they're going to make an error, pretty much. Right. If you believe they will make an error, then it's in your best interest to also make an error, so to speak. Yeah. Or if you believe that your opponent is an altruist. Yeah. Um,. Man, nuclear warfare comes into play so much with this <laughs> yeah. type of... Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad that people don't act completely rationally based on like game, game theory, theory calculations yeah. because otherwise nuclear winter would have already happened. Like Probably like tenfold. Yeah. There's so many stories of like... Brings Those are great stories. It, yeah. Those are great, great fucking stories. Um, yeah, I think there's this one Russian guy specifically that stopped a lot of shit from going on because they had false they had false negatives. Oh. Saying that there were American nukes going in, towards in Russia. The sky. <clears throat> yeah. 
And he's like, nope. And basically single-handedly stopped in a nuclear war. That's what I've heard, too, is that basically, like, as much as... And, you know, I am a patriot insofar as it comes to the Cold War in that, like, I do believe American lifestyle with all of its faults is better than Soviet lifestyle, but <laughs> okay, that's, um, <laughs> all right. I, that's a pretty I, low yeah. bar to agree on, but like, I, I, <clears throat> no, I don't know. I feel like it sounds somewhat controversial. Oh, but I don't I, a disagree. lot of Soviets wanted to it, defect but... to America. I'm not sure if there oh, are you as talking many about Americans. now or that like then. Okay. Then I thought you were talking about now. I was like, no. wow. <laughs> all right. No, no, no. They don't live in a Soviet society though. They certainly don't live in a democracy. Um, mm. but, that being said, I think that from the stories I've, from the accounts I've heard, it seems like the Soviets were more instrumental in preventing nuclear disaster than Americans were. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I've heard a, a story similar to yours that basically there was a Russian who was in command who yep. um, was unwilling to launch a single nuke or unleash the codes, uh, release the codes until he had proof positive that an American strike had occurred. And so he was basically willing well, to wait for nuke, American nukes to hit Russian soil. And the reason that that is such a controversial idea when you wouldn't think it would be is because where are American nukes going to go first? To where they know Russian nukes are. Yeah. And so if you wait for another country for its nukes to actually hit before you release yours, you've basically ruined mutually assured destruction and you've given them the advantage assuring your destruction yeah. and not assuring theirs well and, and so uh, that's just and so altruistic on, also the other thing was based on the um sorry and also based on the drills that they were doing he should have yep. released the news. Yep. There was also a nuclear subcommander under similar circumstances who was also Russian, and he had a one of those, you know... I, our, ours were called Tritons. I don't know what the nuclear subs for the Russians were called. They could launch ICBMs from the actual sub. Mm, um, or not was, ICBMs, but they could... I was they, like, was that more recent? No, 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 no. This is during the Cold War. Yeah. Sorry, they weren't ICBMs, but what they would do is patrol your coast and then launch a nuke into a major coastal city. Oh, shit. <clears throat> and there was a... Russian who lost contact with command, but their last order basically was that um, America had released its nukes. And so by all rights, by the protocol, they should have surfaced and released their nuke, but they didn't. They waited for communication with the USSR to resume. Mm. And when it finally did resume, um, I think it was like nearly an hour later when when the subcommanders had tried to relieve them of duty in order to launch the nuke, oh, the communication finally came through that that was a false alert and that they needed to stand down. <sighs> and so that nuclear submarine basically prevented a I nuclear just, war. I just love uh, key holders. Yep. Like even especially the small... The cool-headed ones. Especially, they, they small, make you especially small, like small authority key holders. Like a who, sub-captain. Yeah, like a sub-captain who doesn't actually have all the authority in the world, but he's like, dude, I'm the one who's going to fucking press this button. Yep. Like, and they understand. Right. They will not bow to any pressure. They yeah. have that conviction. That yeah. is a good person. I think so, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry to get us so off topic. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's but see. yeah, game theory applies to a lot of things in like, the real world. Literally everything, yeah. And sometimes acting not logically is the best way to act. Yeah. Yeah. In the real world. Yeah, so like in the Centipede game, a few people, Palacios, Huerta, and Voli, 
found that expert chess players play differently from college students. Oh. In the Sedimpede game. Okay, that makes sense to me. They said all grandmasters in the experiment stopped at their first chance. And they concluded that chess players are familiar with using backward induction reasoning and hence need less learning to reach equilibrium. That's that's all what that's what chess is about. Yeah. Is all backward induction, but yep. it's way more complex than the centipede game is. Um so yeah, like that made sense to me, but Wikipedia also brought up that in an attempt to replicate the findings, Levitt, List, and Sadoff in 2010 found strongly contradictory results hmm. with 0 of 16 grandmasters stopping in the first game node. And that's the problem with psychological studies in yeah. general is that they usually have a very small sample size yep. and low reproducibility. Low reproducibility. That's, I mean, that's why everybody gives Freud so much shit and why they should, honestly, is because mm. the man was not a scientist. He conducted zero studies. <laughs> Every single thing that Freud ever came up with in his weird, twisted little noggin was based <laughs> on case... little noggin. <laughs> was based on case <laughs> studies. Was based on yeah. his unhealthy patients who were coming to him for care because they recognized that they were unhealthy representatives of the yeah. human species. And... Uh, who was it recently who did it well better than uh, than Freud? Yeah, uh, he was on. Oh, 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 oh! Who he, did the case studies? But he's a neurologist. But a neurologist, Oliver Sacks. Oliver Sacks. Oh my God! Recently passed Oliver away Sachs. last year. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, and he no, was. A, I think it was two years ago. Honestly, was it? Time flies. Um, but yeah, fuck, fucking a. He he did it so much fucking. Well, better. yeah, and he was a neurologist, he was so a his neurologist. case studies yeah. were about, and and you know, and he never represented any of his findings as being anything but the results of case studies. He was like, hey, I have this case where like. Oh this- yeah, yeah. He never tried to extrapolate beyond reason. Nope. And and he himself was his own case study because he had face blindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about that extensively. And I think that's what got him in, into neurology was, um, his own face blindness. God, he was cute and beautiful. Oh, he was. I remember hearing an NPR an interview about his love life cause he was a gay yeah, man yeah. and he was a gay man. Yeah. This um, is on radio lab. Yeah. What you're talking about. And he was a gay, you know, he was a gay man well before, like he was a young man well before it, you ever. There could was any ever could have come out of the ever closet could have come or, out of the closet and expected anything but scorn. Yeah. Um, and so he had a lot of misadventures romantically that One, led him to basically being celibate for like 30 years until he finally found love again late in life. Yeah. Like in his sixties or seventies. Yep. He was closed off to the idea of it ever even happening. Yeah. <laughs> again, off the, off topic, but um, like Oliver Sacks is such a great, he's you're amazing. so right. Okay. So let's get back on topic. You're right. Um, like we've been hammering on over and over, anything can be take broken down into game theory. Uh, let's talk about rock, paper, scissors. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Rochambeau. Rochambeau. Uh, actually, we're not going to talk much about it because there's a goddamn lot of talk about rock, paper, scissors, and I think it could be its own episode. I studied a little bit just to be better at facing you because you're pretty good at it. <laughs> I am pretty good at it. So, but the interesting thing, as far as we're concerned, is that rock, paper, scissors has no Nash equilibrium because there is no optimal strategy to make no matter, no matter what you think your opponent's going to do. There are percentages, though, that you can oh, look yeah, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, that's not to say, yeah, it's not to say rock, paper, There's... scissors is a, is a completely random game. Right. Um, and I have a quote from Wikipedia about it. Okay. 
Unlike truly random selection methods, however, rock, paper, scissors can be played with a degree of skill by recognizing recognizing and exploiting non-random behavior in opponents. Yep. That's exactly what I looked into and, <laughs> yeah. and found that like some people, a lot of people just tend to throw the same things. And rock so is, you, rock is a very good, very rant, very first primary. Yes. Paper is the paper has a 63% odds. If I remember correctly, paper has a 63% odds of winning on the first throw. Yeah. And, uh, another thing, what I like to do, is don't ever play me in rock, paper, scissors if you played this. I like to throw the one that will lose to the one that I just threw. Or sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I like to throw the one that will lose to the one that I just threw. Because if you like to throw the one that will win the one to the one I just threw, then I'll beat you with the one that would lose to the one I would just threw. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. In fact, when you look at when you look at Rochambeau and like break it down into strategies like you would poker and they break it down into percentages, um, it's interesting because it's like if you think that your opponent is more likely to do this, then you have a percentage like this percentage of um likelihood that this throw will win. Yeah. It's interesting how it breaks down. Because well, they do one out of three in the breakdown I was looking at. Well and uh like I guess we're just going to get further into it. But like <laughs> in uh in rock paper scissors tournaments, like people are really fucking well trained to see twitch movement. Oh. And so they can like start to try to predict their their opponent's throws based on what their hand is doing. And then another thing they can do um is they can shit Another thing they can do is I can't really remember. I was thinking about it, but I can't really remember. <laughs> well, I imagine if you, I imagine if you're good enough, you can help hide some of those things too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like it's just like poker. People have a tell, but if you are aware of your tell, if you're good enough, you can just hide it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why people wear sunglasses during I, poker. I'm actually pretty good at that. Um, not giving away what I do. I during poker. I don't know if I'm good at it, but I try to create fake tells. Mm. Like I try to associate a behavior with certain types of hands so that people will then So I'm hoping that people associate that behavior with yeah. that hand and then later on I can fool them. I'm not sure if it ever works. Yeah, it's funny cuz we play poker at such a low level that like Yeah. <laughs> it's like nobody we're playing it cuz it's probably gonna No, we play in. at poker at such a low level that sometimes like, people invite us over for me. poker and then we're like, "Okay, I don't know the rules. Will you teach me poker?" And like, <laughs> "Fuck's sake, dude." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing this? All right, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the game of chicken. Chicken. Um, it's actually just like our four-way stop scenario, oh. just with uh, worse, worse outcomes. Yeah. Um, I played chicken a bunch on bikes as a kid. What <laughs> stupid games? <laughs> stupid fucking games. Right. We played this game where everybody was swinging. We had four swings, and everybody got swinging to the best, to like the highest they could. And the game was to run through the swings. Oh <laughs> man, that seems. <laughs> Man, yeah. <laughs> I saw people get kicked so far. It's so funny. Kids, Kids come up with these yeah. so many situations in which they basically like artificially create danger. risk and yeah. danger. Yeah, a risk of danger <laughs> so that they can overcome it. It's funny when there's no real risk of environmental danger. 
as children, we create create rites of passage ourselves. We create danger so that you can show other individuals that you are capable of dealing with danger. It's funny funny, that we continue to do that. It's so ingrained in us. Yeah, that's basically what chicken is. If if you don't, if you fucking swerve, then you're gonna be called a chicken. Yeah, like if two people are going straight at each other, whoever decides to break off the the obvious imminent impact collision they're the, the chicken. worst yeah the worst outcome for both parties but is nobody plays chicken and they collide <laughs> yeah because that is a way to neuter yourself young um like yeah and like both both of you swerving is just lame yep like if both now you're s- both chickens if you both swerve then you're just chickens so the optimal example and the place that has the Nash equilibrium just like the traffic stop is for one to swerve and one to keep going right because even though even though one's a chicken and one is a winner is a winner no one got their no one got killed and they're not both chickens (laughs) yeah and so like if you see someone swerving keep going but Mm -hmm. if they ain't swerving you don't want to (laughs) die and yeah so yeah basically the whole thing about this whole episode was that everything is involved in game theory. And that guy, John Nash, that the beautiful mind is built around, um, was basically working on, like, game theory had already been a thing, but it had been mathematically formulated that everything is a zero-sum game. Oh, okay. And so Which is he obviously very false. Very, very false. Like, if you, you can't believe that, you can't believe that zero-sum games really exist and also believe in globalization, which yeah. is what Trump believes, that, that 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 everything is a zero-sum game. Like, when he talks about our trade deficit with China, he doesn't understand that it's not literally that amount of money leaving the U.S. and going into Chinese oh, yeah. hands. Like, there is a benefit to us being able to consume Chinese goods without having to produce them industrially. There is a benefit to that. We make iPhones here. All of those components come from other countries. Mm. There's a benefit to that that isn't that isn't strictly quantified in dollars. Yeah. And so yeah, zero sum games don't actually exist. As soon as you look at things through a magnifying glass. They're not the norm. Yeah. They're not the norm. You're right. They can exist artificially, but in general, when you look at something that's not artificial, especially with multiple with multiple players, right? Mm -hmm. And you realize that the complexity makes it so you can't measure the end result, which makes it not a zero sum game. Yeah, everyone can benefit from something. A rising tide lifts all ships, and that's what globalization is: is a rising tide. But if you can just catch some of that tide. (laughs) <laughs> still rise with those ships and rise faster than them rise faster. and that's what everybody's trying to do rise <laughs> a little bit faster than everybody else yep um got anything else about the nash equilibrium um so i brought up the beach earlier i, m- I briefly mentioned the beach i oh, do yeah. have a, a thing it's not actually about the it. nash e- well you know what it is kind of about the nash equilibrium i didn't know what that we was can before. try to ration out where the nash equilibrium is okay yeah so, in fact, I think I know where it is, but like, just briefly, let's say that a guy selling ice cream um, on the beach goes down a, uh, and there are a limited set of entry points to the beach. Mm-hmm. So, at regular intervals, let's say a mile, there are entryways to the beach, like little stairs that go down the dunes. Um, 
And so he decides that he's going to sell um, ice cream right out in front of the entry point that he came out of the beach from. Does so he, he have a competitor? He has a little cart. Not the first day. So the first day he goes out with his little cart, sells ice cream on the beach right outside the stairs that lead to the beach. On the on one side of the beach. On like the beach is a long line. Does right. he start at the end of one side? Um let's say for purposes it's or a contiguous he... line. And it goes on indefinitely in each direction. And so okay. he enters and then that's the midpoint. Wherever he enters is just arbitrarily the midpoint of the okay. beach. Sure. And so on the first day, he sells his ice cream. He's happy, heads back home. The second day, somebody has noticed how well he did, and they also have their ice cream cart. And so now, the two ice cream carts are there, and they kind of talk to he, each other. The competitor sets up directly adjacent on the same exit Originally, point. it appears as though they're going to set up directly adjacent to each other. They both talk to each other and decide that like they should each going. move a half mile down the beach from mm. the entry point. That will split up business equally amongst them. Yep. So now they're each a half mile from the entry point. It takes them longer to set up each day, reducing business hours and reducing the total number of customers. Um, because they have to travel that half mile. But they're not competing, so they can start to expand. They're not competing um, as such, except for space. But they've made an agreement about it. They're not but competing the within each other. With they're each starting other. to set up an oligarchy. Right. Is what's going on. You're, yeah, you're right, because they've come to an agreement. But on the third day, um, the first ice cream cart recognizes that the second ice cream cart, instead of moving its pre-arranged half mile away mm -hmm. from the entry point the midpoint of the beach they've only moved a quarter mile away and so now they're taking more than half of the business from the entry point because they're closer to the entry point than uh, they're only a quarter mile away from the entry point than which is where all the people are coming this from. is this is another example of the tragedy of the commons yes exactly because they, he, that one the second there was a binding agreement and the second one wouldn't the second abide one by it wouldn't abide by it and so then on the fourth day he decides well screw this i'm not going to be like you know i'm i'm, I'm not going to be screwed out of this so now they're both a quarter mile away mm. so on the fifth day the second one recognizes that he can just be closer and eventually they basically both end up where they didn't want to end up, which is back to back mm -hmm. next to the entrance. And that's also and the what prisoner's this, dilemma. It, it does. Yep, exactly. Because it has two players. And that's the Nash equilibrium is when they're back to back. Mm -hmm. It's not optimal for either of them, but nothing either of them does can increase the amount of business they will get. Because yeah. no matter how you move if it's, in relationship to the other, now your business is basically set. If it's better to cooperate... For both parties, but there is still incentive to not cooperate. You'll end up at the, with Nash equilibrium, where both with where both players end up with C, like we were yep, talking. Yep, exactly. About. They can't not cooperate anymore and end up with a better option. Yeah, and so they're forced with like a low level of cooperation, essentially. Um, a low which level is not, of cooperation, not cooperation. Yeah, exactly. Which is how capitalism kind of works. Mm, Cooperative, non-cooperation. Advertising works like that. Yep. And so, but this explains the beach game, explains why so many businesses like restaurants, gas stations, mechanics cluster around each other at certain points within cities and towns mm. instead of being equally distributed. 
Have you ever found yourself where there's oh, yeah, no gas stations like... around you and you know that there's like three, but they're all equidistant from you? Yeah. It's because like cities are set up like beaches. There are freeways, there are entrance points, there are communities, and basically all businesses benefit in the same way through this non-cooperative cooperation where oh interesting that is where it takes a turn yeah. yep their best interest is to set up next to one another rather than away from one another mm-hmm. by the same logic that the beach the beach uh ice cream sellers are better off selling next quote, to each unquote, other better off quote unquote better off because neither of them will cooperate yeah or agree to cooperate rather or at least one of them won't cooperate they're and so they're better yeah. off not cooperating in this cooperative fashion yeah yeah, that was good. Um, you got anything else? Nah. But yeah, it really does apply to everything, huh? It applies to fucking everything, yeah. Game theory is so cool. I always thought I kind of like just understood, like, yeah, like it's basically taking into consideration what everyone do. But I never really realized how fucking mathy it is. Yeah, there's a strict math there's to it. There's strict math to that it. That really... Like, that applies better with large numbers than it does with small numbers, mm-hmm. which is always the case with math when it comes to psychology. And so you can predict really well what large numbers of people will do, but individuals, yeah. yeah. But individuals uh, obviously operate according to their illogical principles, and you can't. It's hard to math illogical (laughs) actions. (laughs) But yeah, you can pretty much math pretty much everything you ever do. Yep. In fact, the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov or Isaac Asimov is about that. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's this whole notion of um, psychohistory and the idea with it, with very large numbers, you can predict the future because you will predict how people will, will act. Okay. And as long as oh, there's no yeah, outside yeah. influences like a black swan event or new technology that you can predict, you will be able to essentially tell the future just like you can tell the future of the orbits of the planets. Yeah. Like we know where planets will be millennia ahead of now, and it's because they're not going to change their behavior. Yeah, that's what happens if you get really, really good at game theory. Yep. Yeah. All right. Isaac Asimov's foundation. That's what it's about, game theory. Okay. Um, let's end it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. I want to thank all of our past and current cherished and beloved listeners on Patreon. Your support means everything to me, to us, and the show itself. If you too want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. And also, likely, you got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or come out on Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you are imaginative and unique. Bye now. Bye <laughs> now.